Hello, thank you for joining us today for the Harvest Time Church weekly podcast. As you listen today, we pray that you are richly blessed and that the message would guide you deeper into your walk with Jesus and help you to advance his kingdom here on earth. Have a blessed day. So we're going to just be mindful this series focuses, you know, just on, you know, who the Messiah was, what he accomplished. And this next weekend, we're going to look at, you know, the child Jesus, his birth and his demonstration of his radical love uh, for us. So you don't want to miss that. Now, I'm going to warn you before we hop into this message. If you have not begun your Christmas shopping yet, you have been warned. T minus one week. If you're waiting on that gift, uh, Amazon Prime, they can only do so much if you order four days before Christmas. So uh, anybody ever been stressed out about a gift that didn't come in because you kind of ordered it late? How many of you are right there doing that right now? You're checking your right now. You're checking it. See if it's coming in. It's like checking that tracking. Santa's ill has got to get that expedited so it shows up, right? So uh, we're excited about the Christmas season, the holiday time, and, you know, focusing on Jesus. Uh, around the holiday season, there's countless details and work that go into preparation. How many of you guys do more work around your house around Christmas time than any other time? You start dusting in places you didn't know need dusted. You start putting stuff up, getting ready for guests, getting ready for the family to come over to host all of those things. So when we know a big day is coming, we're a little more intentional with the time leading up to that moment that we have been pre- uh, pre- preparing for in that moment of the, when it arrives. So God did the exact same thing. So remember first week we talked about, you know, the, the, uh, the waiting period roughly 700 years ago through the prophet Isaiah was spoken that there would be a, uh, a Messiah born and all of those things. And this started the plan of God to redeem the world. And then it continued on and, and Mary, you know, was spoken last week. We talked about, she was given a promise you know, that the Messiah would be born and, you know, she would be shown favor and all of these good things. And, you know, just that, that spoken promise by the angel Gabriel. And then prior to Jesus's coming, there, there was a man by the name of John the Baptist. And we're going to, that's what we're going to look at this morning, uh, the, the time of John the Baptist. And this was a time not of waiting, not of promise, but a time of preparation. So that's what we're going to call this time of John the Baptist. It was the preparation for what? The coming Messiah. John the Baptist had a responsibility and obligation and had a mission from the Lord for him to accomplish. But in this time of preparation, he had something to do. And the the whole point of this message today, if you can walk away with one thing, is that John the Baptist prepared uh, the people for the coming Messiah. But we also, as sons and daughters of God, as Christians, we need to prepare a people... For the second coming of Jesus, because when he comes back, that's it. There's no a little bit longer, uh, you know, can you come back another day? Okay. It's not going to work like that. You know, once he comes back, uh, you know, our fates are sealed. That's it. So we have a mission and we have, we have, a, have a job to do in the preparation of Jesus' second coming. So as we talk about all this content this morning, just kind of have that in the back of your mind that that's the point, that we have preparation to do also in waiting for the coming Messiah. So we're going to look at the story of John the Baptist, and I'm going to cover a lot of passages. If you're taking notes this morning, just try to jot it down, and I'm going to jump around throughout. The, well, I'm going, to, I'm going to skip some verses because we're going to cover a lot of text this morning, but we're going to look at, look at Luke chapter 1, and then Matthew 3, 1 through 6, and then John three thirty. Now, I would encourage you to read the whole uh, chapter, chapter 1 of Luke. 
So you can read it in its full entirety. I'm going to cover. I'm going to start in verse 5 to 7. And then I'm going to go from 11 to 17, 39 through 45, and 57 through 66, and 76 through 80. Okay? So you should see those at the top. If you're jotting them down, just kind of write them quickly. You're probably not going to keep up because I'm going to try to cover the whole story, the life of John the Baptist real quick. And then we're going to look at some, um, some ways that we can really prepare um, uh, for the preparation. Okay, so we'll jump right into this text looking at Luke 1 verse 5. It says, in the time of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of, of, of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God. Now understand, God chooses righteous, God-fearing people to accomplish his purpose. Notice, you know, last week we talked about Mary. She was a, she was a woman found full of favor, right? So God marks and he selects specific people for specific tasks, but it says they were righteous in the sight of God. They also were observing all the laws, commands, and decrees blamelessly. I mean, even know that blamelessly, that's a, that's, a, that's a strong word, right? They were to the letter. They were hitting the mark. They were doing what was expected. Verse 7, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were very old. So as we look at this passage about John the Baptist, remember this, that the Lord is a God of the impossible, that he can work in impossible situations and sometimes where we are at is not the result of what we become, okay? So as we look at this story, in verse 11, it says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him, talking to Zechariah, standing at the right, right side of the altar of incense. So he was in the temple. He was performing his duties. And the angel of the Lord shows up. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. And what does the angel say every time they show up? Do not fear. Okay? So we know that when the angel of the Lord shows up, it is a scary thing. Um, you know, it, it, it's, and then that's the first thing that the angel always says is fear not. And understand this, when the angel of the Lord shows up, when he begins to speak, remember, we want to pay attention to what that angel is saying. But as we look at this story unfolding, you know, there's about to be a promise made. All right. Verse 13. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth will bear a son and you will call him John. Now, if the story just stopped there, we know that that would, be a, that would even be a story of promise there. They were, they, were, they were unable to bear children, and they were old. Talk about a bad equation, right, for having children. But yet the Lord of promise, he, he had a plan to work through them, and they were going to give them a child, and his name was going to be John. In verse 14, here was the criteria. So he will be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. Verse 15. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will never take wine or other fermented drink. So understand this. This child was to be set apart for the work of ministry. Anytime it says they won't cut their hair, they'll be, you know, consecrated unto the Lord, no fermented drink. What it's saying is this is first and foremost is a gift from God. This child has a divine purpose. But what does the rest part of that passage say? You know, he won't take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Come on, somebody. Now, if he wasn't a child of promise, he's a child of promise. Now, how many of you know if our kids came out of the womb full of the Holy Spirit, that'd save us a lot of problems? 
Right? You're acting right before you knew how to act right. You know, like you're crying holy cries at the age of infancy, right? You're, you're, you're pooping holy poop. No, I don't know about that. But, uh, you know, from the womb, full of the Holy Spirit, right? From birth. Man, this is an awesome thing, you know? And so we see this story unraveling. In verse 16, it says, He will bring back the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah, and turn the hearts of the parents to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So he came as a, as a prophet, as a voice uh, screaming out to the world saying, get ready. The Messiah is coming. He wasn't Jesus, but he was there to prepare the way of the Lord by the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through him. We're going to jump down to verse 39. And then it says, at that time, Mary, so this is Mary from last week, Mary got ready and hurried to the town in the hill country of Judea, where there she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. It was at this moment that Mary's voice spoke that John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit and the baby leaped in his mother's womb. It is just a special, awesome moment. And then... She responds in a loud voice and says, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of the Lord should come to me? So Elizabeth knew what her baby was going to accomplish, but I think she also knew what Mary's baby would accomplish. As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Verse 45, Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promise to her. All right, we're going to keep on going. Verse 57. So this is the birth of John the Baptist. It says, when, the time for Elizabeth, when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Now, understand most of the time in, in Bible times, and we do it today, that we name our children after men of the house with the same last name, different things like that. It's an honorary custom. And the, they heard and they were excited, all of the relatives. And they asked what the name would be if, it should, if, the, if they would be named after the father, Zechariah. In verse 60, it says the mother spoke said, no, he is to be named John. So they said, there's no relative with that name. Why are you doing this? So they kind of made a sign of the father. They said, well, you decide what the baby's name is going to be. So then the father shows up and he writes on a tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Now understand that he's following instructions. He's doing what the angel told him to do. Just like the name of John the Baptist was given, the name of Jesus was given also. So understand that God, by his Holy Spirit, speaking through an angel or speaking by the Holy Spirit, he's going to tell you what to do specifically. Right? It's not an accident. It's not just he's giving you unneeded details. No, he's giving you specific details to accomplish that which he wants accomplished. So immediately when he says his name will be John, the father's mouth was open and he began to, um, to praise and his tongues were set free. And what he did, he began to prophesy what the life of John the Baptist would be. Let's go to verse 76. It says, And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. You will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Um, and then verse 79, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide the feet into the path of peace. 
Verse 80, and the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Jerusalem. So there's always a preparation. Even in John's life, there was a season of preparation. You know, he didn't come out of the womb in a four-year-old preaching the gospel. Throughout his life, he grew where? In the wilderness. A lot of us, uh, we feel like we are ready for ministry. But let me tell you what. A lot of times when we first come to Jesus, do you understand there is more of a stripping away than an adding to what we already are? We see this in many people's lives. You know, Moses, he was, he was raised in Pharaoh's house, but yet, you know, God had to kind of strip him down, even though he had the best education, the best livelihood. All of these things were great. That what God wants to do is he wants to use his goodness and his things. He, he doesn't need our help. You know, it's probably the best way to put that. But then as, as, the, as the passage continues, Matthew 3, 1 through 6, it says, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who spoke, uh, this is who he spoke through, through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight a path for him. Verse 4, John's clothes were made of camel hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Now, come on, tell me that ain't a wild man. Right? He, he was in the woods. He was out there. He was a rough guy. And, um, but yet he was being prepared for ministry. In verse 5, it says, People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Okay? So this is kind of where we start knowing John the baptizer. He baptizes Jesus. All of these things happen. Um, but there is a preparation in his life for the coming Messiah. Now, there are specifications that John got, you know, from the Lord, even in his ministry, where he said, you know, the one that you see that you baptize and the Holy Spirit comes and rests and remains is the one that's going to pass you up, is the one that's going to go before you. In John 3, 30, it says, he must become greater and I must become less. Now, this is leading into the moment of where Jesus is baptized and how many of you know that when he was baptized, it says that he came out of the water and the, and the spirit descended on him like a dove and it rested and remained. Do you understand that when the Holy Spirit came and rested on Jesus from that moment forward is when he began, began his ministry? wasn't before that. You know, what did he do in the meantime? He was just growing up as a little kid. It says he was growing up with favor with others. And, you know, the, the family went on a trip and he actually went into the temple where the scholars and all the, the, the religious people were. And for whatever reason, the parents take off. It's kind of like the kids here and they are in Van Vilek somewhere and they say, hey, where is Jesus? How many of you know that ain't very good parenting? But they go back to figure out where he was and he was in the temple astonishing the scholars. And he says, I have to be about my father's business. But, you know, I'm sure there was a correction and apology. And, you know, you know, he, he had, he also had a time of preparation. Jesus just didn't step into ministry. Many scholars wonder why it took so long for him to, can you, cause he didn't really start till he was 33, right? 30, 30 to 33, you know, so man, that's like, what did he do in the meantime? In the meantime, there was a time of what? Preparation. 
So in the preparation, is we have to pay attention to what it is that God is doing in and through us, what he wants accomplishing in us. Now, we can look at John's life and see how he prepared for Jesus, but I want you to look at your own life this morning. What are you doing to prepare a people for the second coming of Jesus? What are you doing? Now, maybe this morning some of you said, well, pastor, I thought that was your job. Listen, we all have gifts, we all have talents, we all have abilities, but I tell you what, all of us as sons and daughters of God have an obligation to tell the world about Jesus. This isn't just a pastor-preacher thing. This is a Christian thing. This is a son and daughter of God thing about telling the world uh, about Jesus, okay? So we all have work to do. It's our responsibility. The most important thing that we will ever do in life is come into a relationship with Jesus. That's the most important thing. Maybe you come to church every single weekend because your spouse makes you and you're keeping the peace. It's the right thing to do, right? But if you have no relationship, church doesn't make sense. You're like, well, I'm just coming and wonder where we're going to go eat, right? That's where your mind is, like getting in and getting out, like you're just kind of gritting your teeth. But, you know, when we come into a relationship with Jesus, what we do begins to make sense. How do, how do I know that? Because, you know, I've, I've seen people enter into a church service. How do you know that there's a lack of relationship? Because worship is really, really awkward for you. You don't know what to do. You kind of sit there and you're ready for the next thing. But if we begin to see even the vein of worship during our worship time, it is just a time of intimacy with Father God. How many of you, the last time you were around a candlelit dinner with your spouse, you were ready to move on to the next thing or you, you found pleasure in staying in that moment? Right? Hopefully. You love that person and they didn't force you to go. You enjoy that moment. You savor that moment. You want to stay in that moment. And actually, you get, you get kind of annoyed when somebody messes up that intimacy. You ever been on a date and then the waiter's like too waitery? You're like, leave me alone. I'm in a moment. Like, think about your dating. You're like, man, you're all infatuated looking back and forth. Like, get out of my face, man. I came here to see her, not you. Like, you know? But in that intimacy, in that relationship, it's a place that makes sense. And it's that time that we connect with God and we, we give him the worship and the adoration. And that relationship with him and us, it grows. It is vulnerable. It is awkward. But like when I have a relationship, it's intimate and it's good and it's sweet. I love worship and I love the word. I like both. But worship drives me closer to the presence of God, that intimacy. The word of God challenges me to grow and produces faith and fruit and all of these things to, to align my life to what it should be representing. But a lot of times we read the Bible, but we don't know the author of the book. You know, it's like, man, why is he tell? Why is he giving me all these stupid rules? You ever done that? I remember young and dumb. I used to be like, man, why is God? Why is this got to be in here? But then, I'll tell you, you guys probably heard me say this: the dumb years, making poor choices. How many of you have ever paid a consequence for a sin? The rule was there because God knew the consequence of that sin. If we don't violate the rule, we don't reap the benefits or the, we reap the results of that sin. And because God knows that, he just says, hey, don't do this. You know, it's like a little kid when you tell him, don't touch the fire, the fire's hot. Oh, really? You sure? Ow! <laughs> you big dummy. Like, it's kind of like that, right? We just have to trust God's word that he loves us. That he's a good, good God and all of the rules, anything that he writes, anything that he says, it's because he loves us. 
Not because he's mean and because he's cruel. But this relationship with God, it's the most important thing. If worship doesn't make sense to you, I'm just going to challenge you. Where is your relationship with God? I'm not judging you, but just maybe it needs to grow. I love those. Man, I, you know, I love my kids to death, but I love when I go on a date without them. I was kind of caught in between this, like, but don't you miss the kids? Not yet. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know how long that would take. You're with me all the time, so it's okay when they're not, you know. Uh, but I married my wife. I just, you know, inherited my kids, right? You know, I chose my wife. You need to choose Jesus. That's the most important thing you will ever do in your life. Then what? Once we know Jesus, once we come into that relationship with him, the next most important thing that we do is that we need to focus on leading others into a relationship with him. That's the, that's the second most important thing that we'll ever do. So John came to ready a people for the coming ministry of Jesus, leading them to repentance, um, asking them to believe and turn their hearts to him. And we likewise need to ready a people. We need to ready the world by preparing them for the return of King Jesus. Understand this this morning. He's not coming back to offer forgiveness and the coverings of sin again. He's already done that. He's already died on the cross. He's done all of these good things. He loves us. But he is coming back as a conquering king to judge the living and the dead. There's going to be a separating of the sheep and the goats. And the moment that he comes back, everything is done. There's no more moments. There's no more time. It's over. What you have chosen will directly impact eternity. Now for us, we're like, great, I'm a sheep. Yay. What about all of the people around us that we're not communicating and we're not telling about Jesus? How did we find out about Jesus? Somebody opened their mouth, right? Somebody said something. Somebody was bold. Somebody was courageous. Or maybe your mama grabbed you by the neck and dragged you to church. Doesn't matter how it happened, but thank God for somebody that did something, that said something, that got a hold of my heart, that allowed God to knock and for me to respond in a way that I would receive him as a free gift of salvation. But what are we doing to prepare a people? Are we so focused on, man, we're going to go to heaven, we're going to go to heaven, and we don't care who goes to hell? Come on. I know when Jesus died on that cross... It says that he died for all of the sins of the world. While we were in our worst condition, Christ loved us and chose to forgive us. You don't think he loves our neighbors? You don't think he loves our friends? Maybe some of you judge him and say, man, pastor, you don't know them. And we think that they're worse off than we were. But last, last I checked, we were all sinners in need of grace and saving. We're all equal. We're all sinners deserving of death. But hopefully we have a but Jesus moment <laughs> to where all that changed. But that's the hope that we need to tell them. We need to let them know that he is coming back to judge the righteous and the wicked. He's, there's going to be a separation. So what will you do with your time until Jesus comes back? What will your time of preparation look like? Now understand this. We can't take any of our Christmas gifts with us to heaven, but we can take people. We can take people with us. Man, can you imagine heaven being full of your family members, your loved ones, your friends, all of the people you came in contact with? Man, it is one of the precious, most precious gifts. Now, let's commit to be bold, to be courageous, to, to, to lead others and prepare a people for Jesus' return. And let's make heaven full. Let's make heaven full. But he needs each of us to partner in the preparation. There will be people that have your ears that are waiting for your voice. 
I can only speak so far. But through all of us, man, we can speak so much further. And who knows that that one word, that one story, that one testimony would change somebody's life. I know statistically in the room, there's some of us maybe that have never, ever led anyone to the Lord. We've never told a story. We've never maybe shared all of the awesome things that God has done for us. And I would ask you, what are you waiting for? I know the scripture says that the field is ripe with harvest, that there's many, many people waiting to find what you have found. But for them to find what you have found, you must go and you must speak and you must tell and you must be that model to those. There is a preparation to be done because Jesus is coming back and he's coming back quickly. Let us prepare a people that are ready for him. Amen. It's a good stuff, huh? You, you're nervous or scared or worried or you feel good? I hope I'm stirring you up a little bit, okay? But Jesus is coming back. He's going to settle these accounts of those who have known him or those who have rejected him. So we're going to look at four keys to the preparation, okay? Four keys to the preparation. Number one, remember your purpose in the preparation. I know understanding our purpose, we have like 90-year-old people that are still figuring out their purpose. This is a topic that every pastor, preacher will teach every single year. Why? Because we often forget our purpose. We don't know what our purpose is. But let me challenge you. We have gifts, we have talents, we have abilities, and those things are important. But the con consistent variable of our purpose is to tell others about Jesus. We all have this obligation. We all have this mandate from God that all may hear, that all may know. There needs to be some urgency, right? What if you knew your house was going to catch on fire tomorrow and your whole family was in it? Good luck, guys. No, we said, hey, get out of the house. It's about to get bad. We would be shouting. We would be screaming. We might grab them by their back of their shorts and rip them out. Of, I mean, we're going to, with all urgency, do everything we can to make sure that they don't get caught in that fire. Right? That, that, that's the goal. We know that the fire is coming. We know that the judgment is coming. What are we going to do in the meantime? We each have an obligation. So how often have each of us talked about our faith? You know, have you, have you ever heard somebody go on and on and on about their fiance? Oh, he's just great. Look at the ring. Man, I forgot my ring today. I feel like super weird. And I, was like, I told Becky, should I go back? She goes, no, we're late. I said, okay. Everybody knows I'm married and I got my mark and all that stuff. Finger looks all weird without it, right? But I, I walked out, you know, you're excited about your fiance, all of the good things, all of the wonderful things. You tell everybody how great of a person he is, making sure everybody knows about the special treatment. You know, um, you brag and you brag on that individual. Um, but are we also telling others about the awesomeness of how Jesus has been to us? In that same way, have we been telling others, have we been acting like Jesus is the greatest ever? You know why? Because he is. I'll let you, let me tell you something. That fiance is going to let you down. They'll be all that, but they're not going to be all that in a bag of chips. Y'all remember that saying? I ain't thought about that in a long time. Y'all know about that? You ever heard that, Gabe? All that in a bag of chips? Used to be a cool phrase back then, way back. I don't know when. Everybody that laughed remembered it. Then, like, that's so dumb. I don't know. But 
they'll be all that lacking the bag of chips, right? They're not going to be, you know, they're going to let you down. They're they're not going to be everything that you think they're going to be, right? But Jesus is everything he says he's going to be. He's a good God. He loves us. He gives us way more than we deserve, way more. And we don't deserve it, right? So we want to focus on all of these things. We want to brag and tell others about Jesus. We want, we want them to see him for who he is in and through our lives. What if you could not communicate that you serve God? Would people see your love of God by your actions alone? Well, you look like the Grinch who stole Christmas, sir. Like, you know, <laughs> smile a little bit. Little holiday cheer wouldn't hurt nobody, Right? Smile, be kind, be considerate, prefer others, bless others. There's so many things that we can do tangibly. But these are things that lead people into a relationship with Jesus. Do you understand we are God's representatives? What if they were looking at you to see what Jesus looks like? Would they find anything that looks like him? I tell our ministry teams and our impact teams all the time, listen, man, you're God's representative. You look mad at the world, you need to change that. You know, notify your face that you're happy. You know, smile a little bit, right? You know, uh, it's funny. We got, we got guys that say, well, I just look like an angry person, but I love everybody. It's like, you need to smile, bro, because I see what they're saying, right? So what if just our actions by what we are doing with those things would reveal our relationship with Jesus, would they know that we are a lover and follower of Jesus by our actions, not just our words? So one practical way that you can live for Jesus is telling others about him. So tell others what he has done. It's that simple. If you've been with me long enough, you know what Jesus did. Just regurgitate it, say the same thing. What has he done? Man, he died on a cross. He loved you. He forgave all your sins in advance. Tell, tell them what he has done. Uh, tell them who he is. Man, he was the savior of the world. He came to redeem that which was lost. He came to provide a way for us to get to heaven, redeeming a relationship to the Father. You know, y'all know this, right? You need to get it and let it out of your spirit. Tell others who he is. Tell others what he has done. But this is the most powerful thing. Tell others how he has changed your life. I'll tell you what, there's a lot of stories in the Bible, but your story, your testimony will get people's attention. Man, I was an alcoholic. I came into a relationship with God and that just changed. Well, how did it happen? I don't know. God just fixed that problem. I give you my testimony. Like I used to be an angry person, like stupid angry, like throwing stuff, breaking things. Like now I get mad in my brain, but I don't act it out. You ever done that? Like, I know how I would respond, but I, I, there is now control and there's, it's just not, it's not the same. And then you talk about receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That took it up a whole nother level. I could, you don't got enough time to tell you about that. But we need to tell others what has changed in your life. If you have not experienced change, have you really experienced Jesus? That's what I'm going to tell you. You know, I remember my wife. I don't know, I remember what I was doing. I was sure it was something stupid. But um, I remember she asked me one time, are you even saved? Man, that's like the low blow of low blows for a Christian. <laughs> You're doing something. Are you even? I was like, man, who are you telling? Yeah, you. Am I the only one that's ever been told that? Because this so I need to go talk to my wife about that. Because, but I remember saying that, and she's like, well, if God really did this and did it, why are you acting? It's like, man, oh, like, kind of washing my hands and wanting to walk away from it, right? But you know, sometimes we are not acting like a Christian. Sometimes we're not representing Christ well, and we need to pay attention to that because I don't want to ruin my testimony because I'm doing stupid stuff. I want to reinforce my testimony so that when I speak, people listen because my actions match my words. 
that my life's testimony enough that they're looking at me and saying, man, there's something different about you. What changed? What's going on, man? Tell me what, tell me what your secret sauce is. And hopefully we can point them back to Jesus because this is what he has done in my life. This is what he's doing in and through my life. This is what changed. And guess what? If he changed me, huh, here's the awesome part. Man, he can change you. And, and why would we not be so excited about telling others? So we remember the purpose. Number two, we remain focused on the purpose, right? I know a lot of times we'll have a purpose. How many of you watched Finding Nemo? Dory, that chick gets confused real quick. She had the mission. She had the focus. Whoop, come on. Where are we going? We lose it like a New Year's resolution. We get so distracted with that which God has called us to do. I got the mission. I got the mission. I got the mission. Wait, what was the mission? Exactly, right. <laughs> what are we talking about? I don't know. Somebody's taking notes. Thank you, Jesus. They'll go back and say, I don't know. Oh, I wrote it down. Okay, great. The, the, the goal is to focus on telling others about Jesus, remaining focused on that purpose. John the Baptist's main purpose was to prepare people for Jesus' coming. He stayed focused on that. Everything he did was focused around that. He yelled. He hollered. He looked like a wild animal coming out of the woods, like literally. But his heart was to prepare the way of the Lord. He continually uh, focused on his mission. He accomplished his mission and he fulfilled that mission. So our purpose likewise as Christians is to represent Christ well first and foremost and to lead people into a relationship with him preparing people for Jesus' second coming. It's pretty good. Like write that down and do that for the rest of your life. You're going to be okay. I promise. Because a lot of things don't really matter. What if the worship leaders and all of our, our guys that helped us out this morning said, what's your purpose to be a worship leader? What about telling about people about Jesus? Ah, oh, that's your responsibility. Come on. Like we're just going to reap the benefits but not tell people how to get those benefits? We're going to not... We're going to be part of the club, but we're not going to let people know how to get in the club? I mean, come on. Like these, these are things we want people to know. So we want to remain focused on Jesus, on the second coming in the preparation so number one, remember your purpose. Number two, remain focused on your purpose because we lose our focus of our purpose. Number three, redirect your attention to Jesus through the preparation. Redirect the focus to Jesus through the preparation, okay? So as people of God, we want to point people into a relationship with God, okay? What we need to say with that is don't look at me, but look at him. If I lead people to me, guess what? I'm going to let you down. I'm going to do something you don't agree with. Maybe I'll counsel you wrong and mess up. And Man, I thought he was perfect. I never <laughs> said I was perfect. I'm trying to do what's right, but I'm going to let you down if you look to me. But if we, if, we, if we lead people to Jesus, Jesus will never let people down. That's the difference. If they're looking at you, and a lot of people are, they're waiting for you to mess up. Right? We need to let people know we're going to mess up, we're going to trip and fall, but we're going to tack roll, hop back up, and keep going. Right? That's what it's all about. We are covered by the blood of Jesus. That doesn't mean we're perfect and never sin, but we are, we are moving towards a right relationship with God. I hope that today that you're grieved about sin and you don't embrace sin. I hope you have some personal convictions in your heart of what is right and what is wrong. And you're doing something about those things that are wrong. You flick matches long enough, you're going to burn something down. 
You understand what I'm saying? I mean, you, you, you got, you, there has to be some change of heart. There has to be something on the inside that changes. But we want to focus people on him, not us, because we'll let them down. We want to introduce others to him, encourage others to keep growing in their relationship with him. John 1, 27, John the Baptist said, One is coming after me whose sandals I am not worthy to even loose. Like, I, can't, I should not even tie his shoes. The one that is coming after me is going to be exalted so much more than me. So what he was saying, if you see good things in me, the only reason they're there is because of the powerful work of Jesus and his Holy Spirit in and through me. But don't look at me. Don't just look at my life, but look to him. There was a transition moment in, in, in John's life where he was taking the focus and the attention off of him, and he was moving it to Jesus You know, there was a time in the Bible where Jesus began to baptize, and this is where we see, you know, the passage where he says, I must decrease and he must increase. When Jesus began to baptize others, and they said, John, don't you see? He's baptizing more than us, right? We can get so focused on, on doing what we're doing that we'll miss the whole point of promoting Jesus more than ourselves, right? What was happening, it was like another church was coming and taking members and they were like, well, we can't, we can't allow this. It didn't matter because he knew his place in exalting the kingdom. He knew his place in the preparation and he was okay with that. He made it not personal. Right? Because he was focused on the mission. He was focusing on Jesus that God or that Jesus would be glorified in all of it. But Jesus is a miracle-working God. You know, he can change. He can work. You know, um, you know, I think about the more we grow in developing our ministries, our gifts, our callings, and our abilities, um, I hope that there's more and more attention that's reflected on Jesus than our ministries, than our gifting and our abilities. I hope when we look back, 20 years from now and we look at Harvest Time Church that they see what God did, not what Noe and Becky did. You know, I had a lady tell me for our service, you know, not to be arrogant or anything like that. She said, man, this year has just been powerful of just messages and man, you've just done a great job. And I was like, Holy Ghost did a great job showing me and telling me what to say and what not to say and kind of working through all of the details. Um, but I could not be what I am without the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through me and yielding. If it was good, if you got something this year, I hope you got something because I worked hard. But if you got something this year, we thank God that he used me as an instrument to get it to you. Don't look to me. You look to me, you're going to get let down. But look at the giver of those gifts. Look at, the, look at where that communication came from. I always laugh because a lot of people say, man, pastor, somebody tell you about my business. Nobody told me. But the Holy Spirit will speak what he needs to speak so you hear what you need to hear. And it's just like that to the world, that the Holy Spirit in us will give us the words to speak to those who need to hear. Well, I don't know what to say. Just say what the Holy Spirit tells you to say. Jesus don't give you nothing. Say, hey, be blessed. Have a Merry Christmas. Jesus loves you. Man, when's the last time you've been crucified for that? Nobody, right? You know, just do it. Man, I love when people say, hey, God bless you, man. And like, you know, they don't know I'm a pastor. They aren't doing it because I'm a pastor. They're just doing it trying to show the love of Jesus. But I, 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 I appreciate that. You know, I find it really, really interesting in conversations with people, how their conversation with me will change when they know I'm a pastor. Oh, man, all of a sudden they quit cussing. It's like, yeah, oh, you sucker. <laughs> just be yourself. Like, quit faking it. It's like, 
I guess you cannot cuss if you try, right? That's what that means. Uh, but it changes. But I love genuine people who genuinely are, are, are trying to reflect Jesus in a fallen world that people might have hope. And that's, that's the whole point of our preparation. That's, that's our response, that we lead people into that relationship. Um, our, the greater our ministry go, grows, the more and more I hope that people see Jesus in through everything we do. Had some awesome ministries happen this year. But I pray in the big picture that God, that people see what Jesus is doing and enabling us to be part of. Amen. So if we lead people to ourselves by our performance, we're going to let them down. If we lead them to Jesus and God, man, he will be more than enough and they will find so much more. So just keep that the focus. Uh, redirect your attention to Jesus. And lastly, number four, rejoice through the preparation. Understand this, Jesus' return is closer than it has ever been. I can tell you matter-of-factly we're one day closer. That's a sneaky way to do that. Because the Bible says in Matthew 24, 36... But about the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. Now, I know a lot of people get caught up in the details of when Jesus is coming back. Just quit doing that. It says nobody knows, not even Jesus, not even the angels. And guess what? If they ain't figured it out, you ain't got enough mind in that noggin to figure it out, okay? But what we need to do in the meantime is prepare a people for the coming because the promise of him coming is for sure. But we want to be ready. Now understand this, Jesus' return is drawing near. The wedding celebration, do you understand? The wedding celebration is what we all wait for. Where the, where, you know, in, in, a, in a wedding, this is the most impactful time when, when, the, man, when the bride walks in the room and the groom sees her for the first time. I mean, you know, that's a holy moment you don't want nobody getting in the way of, right? It is just that moment that we have waited for where the two that have been separated are, are committing to be one forever. Where the bride and the bridegroom is reunited like God always wanted it to be. This is the most special moment. And we celebrate this because we've experienced this. This is a time of excitement. This is a time of celebration. The time of waiting, the time of promise, and the time of preparation finally arrives. The moment that King Jesus arrives for the second time. This is what we prepare for. This is what we wait for. Jesus' coming was the moment that John had been waiting for. It's what he had waited a lifetime for. That really the world could be reunited with God in a whole new way. You know, when the people of God experienced the birth of Jesus, you know, they rejoiced, man. It was celebration. It was a time of celebration. But understand this, he is coming again for a pure, spotless bride. So will we wait with great rejoicing and anticipation for the day that that moment arrives? Now, here's what it's like. You got to know this. How many of you have ever got told the buffet line is closed? You got to the restaurant and the buffet was there. All you wanted to eat, anything you wanted. You were so excited. And they said, sorry, sir, you're too late. Anybody ever experienced that? You are bummed out. Well, that's kind of what the kingdom of heaven, not to make light of that, is going to be like. Everything has been prepared. But the key is that you get inside the restaurant, you get inside the kingdom before the door closes. Everything that you've wanted, everything that you've longed for, everything that you've needed is found in Jesus. Have you tasted and have you seen that he is good? That he's full of loving kindness and graciousness and he gets sweeter and sweeter with time.
But when he comes back and that door is closed, it doesn't matter how bad you want to get in. What is done is done. Now, the second coming of Jesus is going to be a time of celebration for those who know him. But it will be a time of judgment and separation from his presence forever for those who don't. That's it. We have to know what's coming. But today, God is offering his grace. He's offering his forgiveness. Now is the time for receiving that grace before it's too late and the time expires. I want to challenge you today to not leave this place if you don't have a relationship with the Lord. I, I encourage you to get that right before you go. I know a lot of uh, churches, it's not popular to talk about heaven or hell. But man, it sure is important. Can you imagine all the cool stuff I could teach you and show you, but if I don't tell you that heaven's, re heaven's real and hell's real and you miss it? Talk about failure. So here's the deal, not on my watch. To him who has ears to hear, let him hear today what the word of the Lord is speaking. It says today if you hear him knocking on the door of your heart, open up that door and allow him to come in. He will come in and he says he will take your heart of stone and he will give you a heart of flesh. And then he'll invite you to his banqueting table where there'll be pleasures forevermore, not just in this lifetime, but in the lifetime to come. Can you stand up with me? Now, I hope you're encouraged, but you're challenged. That's, that's, the, that's the whole goal. Today, if you're in the room and you don't have a relationship with the Lord, that's the most important thing that you do. Don't worry about preparation. Don't worry about what you do. Just get your relationship right with God like today, like right now. And then let tomorrow worry about itself. Can I get the prayer team to come forward this morning? So there's really two things, two questions that I have for you. But I have a challenge. In, in the preparation, let's celebrate and tell others about Jesus for those who know him. But here's some evaluating. Two questions that I have for you. Number one, uh, do you know him today? Well, I heard about him. And I read the Bible some. I go to church. That ain't what I said. Do you know him today? Do you have a relationship with him? And then secondly, because I know this is sometimes a reality check for those that have been serving God for a while because we get stagnant, we get lazy, we just get comfortable, right? Are you living like he's coming back soon? Right? Are you living like he's coming back soon? So if you don't know him today, today's the day. Are you living a life like he's coming back soon? Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for your goodness. Lord, I thank you that we are a people. Father, that you, first and foremost, are preparing a place in heaven that, man, mind cannot understand or conceive. And, Father, we can't wrap our mind around all of the things that, you're gonna, that you are preparing for us. But, Father, until that day, there's two things that we have to do. First, we need to know you and to be known by you. And, Father, surrendering our lives to you. So, Father, I pray that this morning that if there's anyone in the room that doesn't know you, Father, I pray that you would knock so hard on their heart. Father, that they would be convinced today that they don't know you. And, Father, that today they would make that choice to get to know you. On the other side of the coin, Father, those, Lord, that maybe aren't living the life they need to, Lord, that they need, we need to change some things in our life. 
Father, I thank you that grace and forgiveness, it's man, it is a gift from God. And the moment we ask for forgiveness, Lord, it is covered. Father, even before we commit the sin, it's already covered by the blood of Jesus. But Father, I pray that we would be a changed people that model and reflect your power and your goodness in our lives. Father, that the world would see the testimony of Jesus and the power of Jesus working in and through our lives. So, Father, if there's anything in our life that needs to change, anything that needs to be realigned, if we're not living like you're coming back soon, Father, I pray that there would be a change of direction, a change of course, Father, in just a pursuit of a preparation for the coming King. Lord, I pray that you bless each one this morning. Father, for all that you've done, we are forever grateful. And Father, we thank you for the promise that to all who ask shall receive the free gift of salvation. And Father, let us be a people that once we have found you, we help others find you also. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. We love you guys. Be thank you for joining us today. We hope you've been encouraged and empowered. If you'd like to know more about our family, follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash HTC Bay City or find us on the web at harvesttimebaycity.com.